Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Greg Michio. He's the owner and strategic director of Windbound. I'm excited to have him. We have some mutual friends in common, which is how I came across his work. We've also kind of exchanged some banter back and forth on LinkedIn. But the reason I wanted to have him on the show is that he has deep industry expertise in manufacturing. And I think it's an industry that is probably going through a lot of transformation right now with everything that's happening. But he's going to give us a lens on how him and his organization help bridge the gap between sales and marketing and also, I would argue, transform the revenue engine through content. So I don't want to give too much away, but Greg, I want to have you introduce yourself, tell people a little bit, a little bit about your background and how you got to the work that you're doing today. Sure. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, so my background, first of all, just a little bit about Windbound. Let's start there. So Windbound, we are, we're actually, we call ourselves a digital sales and marketing agency. For many years, we've just been kind of this content marketing agency. And as we've started to work more exclusively with manufacturers over the years, we realize that, you know, when you start to work with the sales dominated, sales oriented industry, that as marketers, we realized we didn't really know too much about sales. In fact, we knew next to nothing. And then I started to realize, holy cow, we need to know more about sales. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, as we talk. Over the years, we've developed our skills in that area and integrated into our marketing approach. So we are a sales and marketing agency. And I think the easiest way to describe it and what we usually say to manufacturers is we help manufacturers and B2B companies use online content to create a digital twin of their sales team. And the reason why we, we frame it like that, a digital twin in manufacturing is a product or a process. It's used to emulate prototypes, create a digital version of a process, and then they can you know, test new materials, test prototypes, things like that. When I heard that term from my marketing lens, I thought, oh, this is what manufacturing needs to do because there's such a sales-oriented industry. They need to create a digital twin of their sales team using content. So that's pretty much, in essence, what we do, what Windbound does. And so we help these sales-oriented manufacturers get their toes wet and get into the online digital marketing world. We use content, we recreate kind of the, the sales process, and then we use traditional marketing like paid and organic methods to get the uh, content distributed. In my background, I, I actually started out in the business as a copywriter many, many moons ago. I, we have our mutual friend, David Fisher. I'm not sure I'm quite as old as Dave, but <laughs> so I gotta make I, sure he hears this episode. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I was a, a copywriter and then I also started to just do a lot of work with marketing companies, held marketing roles. And then about, I think about 2007 or so, I went out on my own and that's when content marketing started to get really big. And I moved on from just a writer. I realized content was more critical and then created Windbound for small. We usually work with small marketing agencies, small sales teams. I'm sorry, small marketing departments, usually one to three uh, person teams. And Windbound has been around since 2014. Nice. And why manufacturing? Do you have a history in the industry or why did you choose to work with that particular vertical? I was like most marketers, a generalist. And we worked with a really good coach who said, you know, you can't be all things to all people. And he said, why don't you pick a niche? I mean, who do you think really needs your help? Who needs help most of all with marketing, these small teams? And we said, well, the people who seem to value us most are manufacturers. And we're 
also the most fascinated by that industry. There's so much growth there. There's so much technology involved. It's just the driver of everything really in this country. And we picked uh, manufacturing and, you know, when you're kind of a dabbler in all these different verticals, you don't really get to know just the in-depth really you know, what the vertical is all about. And once we really started to focus on manufacturing, it's probably about two or three years ago, I really started to focus on some of these clients and became part of the community and started to interact with a lot more people on LinkedIn. It's just a fascinating vertical and there's so much need. I think Jeff, what's amazing to me is how advanced they are in terms of the technologies they're creating and the products they're creating and how brilliant some of the engineers are and then how lagging they are in the marketing front the sales and marketing front. Yeah. It's interesting. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, we kind of talked about this before we recorded was I had to, to recognize kind of my work started to skew tech because, you know, I just have a lot of tech people in my, in my network and, you know, a lot of what, we focus on the sales and marketing lends itself to software and that sort of thing. And, and I recognized I did a keynote many years ago in the trucking and logistics industry and similar to manufacturing, you know, from a operational standpoint, really have been forced to transform and do things differently, but on the sales and marketing side of the house, really, you know, have room to grow and kind of uh, level up, so to say. And so I, I want to make sure that as we build this platform out, we're being really thoughtful and inclusive of all industries. And I think to your point, you know, manufacturing appreciates you because the the opportunity, the ROI that you can help them realize uh, can be really significant with doing very small tweaks and adding to the way they do things. So uh, I'm glad again that you're on the show and talking about an industry that I think is really important. So I say all that to say, from a manufacturing standpoint, what are some of the top challenges that you're seeing that are unique to manufacturing when it comes to sales and marketing misalignment uh, challenge? I'm just curious about your thoughts initially. Well, first of all, with a lot of the companies that we work with, the biggest misalignment is there is no marketing. Um, <laughs> these are sales-driven organizations. <laughs> and you know, if you look back at manufacturing, they have always been sales-driven organizations, especially some of these, you know, 10 to $30 million companies. Because if you look at their products, very complex products, and usually require a high degree of technical expertise to explain them, understand them. And so typically what was done in the past is you get a really good engineer who is somewhat outgoing and you train them on how to do the sales and you send them out to the golf course or the trade show and, you know, away you go, make some phone calls. And, you know, for a lot of these manufacturers, that's worked great and, you know, more power to them. What's happened though, and I think the big change that's coming, that's going to require more and more sales and marketing alignment is obviously the digital age. And the fact that I think Gartner said that by 2025, 80% of the sales interactions are going to take place in digital channels. You know, the Challenger book and the Challenger sale, which we base our approach on, says that most sales, I think 57% of the sales process has been completed before a salesperson is even contacted. And so manufacturers are starting to realize that their customers are looking online at some point during the process, they're going to be online. They're going to be looking at you. They're going to be pre-qualifying you. So there is a real need for that marketing element to come in. And I think where the misalignment is probably occurring is that traditionally, you know, manufacturers would kind of go with the brochure website, you know, just who we are and what we do. Nice trade show booth. That's what the marketing people did. Yeah. They didn't really have to really communicate. support. Yeah, right. Exactly. And they didn't really have to communicate the sales strategy online. They didn't really have to sell online with their content. And I'm not saying we're closing the deal, but we are part of the sales funnel. We are moving people down the sales funnel with our content. And if we are not aligned the marketing and the content we create with the overall sales strategy and the salespeople aren't buying in on it, 
aren't buying in and on the strategy and part of it, we're going to bring in leads that they're not going to close or they're not even going to look at because they're like, I, you know, what do you want me to do with this? So for most sales leaders and maybe even executives, what have you seen be the catalyst for them to understand that the buyer's behavior has changed? Because obviously, you know, historically you said very sales, sales driven, what has shifted? Is it decline in revenue? Is it losing market share? Like what is that, that thing that says like, oh, Greg, you might have something here. There's these studies that we quote, you know, from Gartner and some of the B2B research firms. So they're, you know, they're seeing the the data out there. I think a lot of it is just empirical data, though, from their salespeople who are finding it more and more difficult to get up and cold call people. I mean, we hear that over and over again. And just the frustration from a lot of these sales execs. What's kind of interesting to me is that a lot of these salespeople, they know it's not working, but they don't know where to go. You know, they don't know what to do because, you know, suddenly it's not just about activity and it's not just about having a list, right? It needs to be a little more strategic and you need, you know, a framework, a strategy behind it, and you need the marketing, online marketing to help you bring those leads in. And so I think a lot of sales and marketing companies are kind of stuck because the salespeople aren't really sure which the sales managers aren't sure which direction to take with their marketing. And then the marketing people traditionally with manufacturing aren't used to, you know, being part of the, the sales equation and they don't know much about sales. I mean, I honestly, I mentioned that before. I think marketers are horrible salespeople. I mean, we just, <laughs> we really don't, you know. I came from sales. Watch yeah. it. No, I'm kidding. No, no. I, I said marketers are horrible salespeople. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you probably could vouch for that. You probably have seen it. It's not the same. It's absolutely not the same. It's not the same. And and I think, you know, there's just the the silo and the blame game that, that happens between sales and marketing is a lot of result of that is the, the skill sets aren't aren't shared. And so we have a lot of problems there. So I, I love this because this, this highlights kind of where the manufacturing industry, and obviously it's not every single manufacturer, but where they are maybe potentially in their evolution and journey to evolve their approach to go to market and in the revenue engine. There's actually a framework that we talk about in the book called the sales marketing interface, which is really nice. It's a professor whose name escapes me right now, but it's referenced in the book. And he talks about this sales driven marketing. Marketing is really being used to support sales and to drive tactics versus strategy. Trucking logistics industry, I've heard this too. I was actually doing a, a session and one woman came up and she asked me, how do you convince your CEO to allow you to do more strategic marketing and get out of just tactical updating the website, you know, brochures, the trade show. And I knew exactly the question she was asking, because if that executive or leader doesn't have the visibility or the experience with those kind of longer, longer term investments in marketing, they're going to want ROI yesterday. And you and I both know this, like, you know, even if from a content standpoint, that may take time, especially if you're looking at things like SEO and those sort of things, it was not going to turn around in a week. And so my question for you would then be, how do you talk to these organizations to help them get out of a very tactical approach to marketing and shift to looking at marketing as a partner and co-creating kind of this buyer's journey? Because right now, like you said, they're probably focused on the sales, the sales process which is very much like, you know, I call you up, I cold call you, da, 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 and we force you through this linear process, which we know no longer works. How are you talking about that? What are you hearing? I'm just curious, because this is a very interesting transition for me in the organization, because it's a big one. Everybody's at, at different areas, and they have different ideas how sales and marketing should work. And they have different perspectives. I kind of come at it, I guess, from a a variety of different ways. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay. You got to be on LinkedIn. Well, what are you going to say? Yeah. Okay. You can't just talk about your products. 
you need to talk about your customer's problems. Otherwise they're not going to like you or want to talk to you. And really we kind of go back to the, the digital twin model and we base the content approach on the old, the old sales mantra. People are only going to do business if they know you, like you and trust you. Well, the know you content, I mean, you're not going to get people to know you if you're just talking about your products. Like you're not going to remember me if all I'm doing is talking about how great I am. I'm not going to make much of an impression on you, but if I talk about Jeff, what, what I can do to help you and what can I do to help rev engine and what are some of your issues and how can we, you know, and I can address them and give you some insights on how to improve those things then you start to know who I am. And so we want content to get to know, help create awareness and get people to know the company. And we want the content to kind of, you know, help people flow down the sales funnel. But kind of getting off on a little tangent there, back to the point, like, how do you get them to buy in on that? It's, you know, is the marketing strategic? Is it lined up just like that? Know you, like you, trust you. Is there some kind of strategy behind it or is it just tactical? And then if there is some sort of strategy, you know, can you tell me what it is? Can you elaborate on it? Can you voice it? And is it using some sort of proven methodology? I mean, we use the challenger sales methodology because statistically it's it's one of the most effective ways for complex sales to occur and we base it totally lines up with content marketing so we base it on that i mean usually when i'm just start talking about this i don't get much pushback because most people don't even have some sort of sales strategy or anything that they're following. I mean, they're just, just pick up the phone. Yeah. Just pick up the phone or just put the, put something on LinkedIn and oh. there's no real strategy behind it. So we try and get the conversation started around that. And then, then we get into the whole tactics and how it all works and how the alignment can occur. Yeah. But you said something that I think was actually very simple, but powerful that potentially and this is just me guessing here, could resonate with a reluctant revenue leader, sales leader. We all know that people buy from who they know, like trust, right? Pretty simple. How do you get someone to know, like, and trust you in today's modern age when you can't get in front of them until they're already 57, 70, 80, whatever number you want to use? Because I've seen all, I've seen a whole bunch of numbers all the way through the sales process. So I think with those two points, you have to then flip that over into a digital space. And the way that we get somebody to know, like, and trust us in digital is we do that through content and social and interaction. So we're not doing anything different than we historically have done, you know, the old school Colin Border Room and Glenn Gehrig and Ross and all that stuff, right? Taking folks out to the golf course. And, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but, but go with me here. We are doing all those things in a digital way. And the way you do that is by showing up consistently, adding value, talking about the, your customers or your buyer's problems versus yourself. All those things were true when we were doing in-person human-to-human connections. We just shifted that over to a digital format. That's kind of what I heard as you were saying that. That's totally it. And I guess maybe really you mentioned like, how do I get their attention? How do I get them thinking about that? That's how I do it. We talk about using content to create a digital twin of your sales team. We meet them halfway. You know, it's like, I'm not just going to throw a bunch of marketing hoo-ha at you and get you to like <laughs> go along with it and jargon because you're going to tune out. I need to yeah. talk, speak in your language and meet you halfway. And I think that's what the whole alignment is about. So for those revenue leaders that are not familiar with content marketing, let's go back to fundamentals. And for anybody that already knows, well, I apologize, but I always like to make sure we're speaking the same language. Tell us what content marketing is from your perspective whole theory behind inbound marketing or content marketing is you are putting out content into the, you know, in the digital space it can be offline too, but, and people are drawn to it and they're following it inbound willingly to your website or to you. Ultimately it's that kind of inbound pull and whereas outbound traditional outbound sales would be picking up the phone, 
and trying to reach out to people directly. So that's that would be kind of the basis of, I think it was HubSpot who coined the phrase inbound marketing. It's been called content marketing and you know they're one and the same essentially. Yeah. So in essence, it is really, and correct me if I'm wrong, really powering that top of funnel lead generation, if you want to use that word. I sometimes get a little bit sketchy about using the word lead, but we're going to go with it. But really kind of that top of funnel activity so that we, we can get more folks in front of your, your sales folks and they're educated. And to be honest with you, we are able to influence and get in front of the beginning stages of them buying like that exploratory phase, that research phase. That's really how I see content marketing really playing a huge role. Because as a sales leader, I put myself, you know, if I'm the, the VP of sales, my job essentially is to get my sellers into the right conversations with the right people at the right time. I mean, that's how I see things very simply. And if I don't have any influence over the message that's happening in front of that process starting and what's in the marketplace and what marketing may or may not be doing, I think it's a missed opportunity. So as much as we can influence that from a sales standpoint, I think content marketing can can achieve that. We can really create a narrative that educates our customers on getting clarity on what the problem is and why potentially we could be someone that could add value and help them solve those problems. So, I, yeah, I want to build on that a little bit, Jeff, too, with the uh, top of funnel and why I think it's so important to get involved with the strategy. And I, I refer to the challenger sale a lot. One of the tenets of it is to talk about trying to avoid a pricing war and getting in on price. So with your content, you're not just talking about problems people have. You're providing insights about their business that they might not be aware of. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example with Winbound, and this is how we do it. We try and tie what we're doing to actually a bigger problem that they might have. So the core problem that we're helping them with is that 80% of digital interactions are going to take place in digital or sales interactions are going to take place in digital channels by 2025. You know, you need to get out there with your marketing. You need to add that to your sales approach as well. That's great. I tell you what, if you try and go and do that, there was a stat, and I think we're going to get to that, that 33%, and this number has actually got up to 44%, but 30 to 40% of manufacturers, that's all that have reported that they actually generate sales from their marketing. So even if you get out and you start to do the marketing, you're going to have a problem because you're only going to be able to generate historically, there's only been able to generate that amount of sales. Why? It's because sales and marketing aren't aligned. That's one of the main reasons. So not only do you need to get out and do inbound marketing and do content, you know, do marketing, get in the digital space, but then you actually have to have an approach that aligns sales and marketing. And what I just did there, Jeff, is that's pure challenger sale where I'm just talking about a problem but I'm tying it to a bigger issue. And that's what I mean about strategy. So that can just lead and build all types of content and it can give you a foot in the door where, with a door that, you know, people, when you get in front of people, you're providing them with insights that they didn't even realize and weren't aware of. And that's how you get, avoid the pricing war and get in front of somebody before they even are writing the RFQ. Yeah. And Greg, you must be in my head because that literally was the next question <laughs> I was going to ask you. I said, hey, I said, I wanted to, I wanted to segue into that, but I'm glad you brought it up. So I did, a, I did a little stalking of your content, of course, which I do with all guests. And you did actually write a really interesting article. And, and if, you'll, if you'll go along with me, I want to go through some of the points that you talk about. So you talk about this conversion of marketing, manufacturing marketing, one of those days manufacturing marketing into sales. And, and yes, I think that you, you are right that that number has increased a little bit, but it's still relatively low. And so you talk about six points in that particular article, and I want to kind of go through those with folks and get your kind of detailed information and kind of deep dive into each one of those. So let me go through a super high level, and then I'd like you to add a little color and context to each one of them. So in, in the article, you talk about six things, uh, sales and marketing having defined what constitutes a lead. 
Second, your strategy is focused on the person who matters least to the customer, which I'm assuming is probably you. <laughs> Third, your marketing is too focused on top of funnel. You want to hear about that. Fourth, your metrics aren't tied to your strategy. Fifth, don't hide, keep management in the loop on successes and failures. And we'll kind of dig into that. And then the last one is how important it, well, actually the last one is a question I have for you, which is how important is branding in manufacturing and their go-to-market strategy. So that's one I actually added, added in there that was not in the article, but I made a note because I wanted, because I think it leads right into that. So let's go with the first one. Sales and marketing haven't defined what constitutes a lead. Tell us more about that. Well, I think we talked about a little bit earlier where marketing is saying, hey, we've got all these leads and sales is saying, these are their horrible leads. You need to, out of the gates, agree on what a, a constitutes a lead for the sales team. You need to discuss it. You need to talk about what's the ideal customer. So the sales team and the marketing team are both aware of who they are going after and what an actual lead looks like and get, can, you know, get agreement on that. So, you know, then when that call comes in, there really shouldn't be anything about them not following up on the lead um, because it should be golden. You know, it should be exactly what they're looking for. And unless they hate money, you know, the salesperson <laughs> is going to go after it. Right. Yeah. So that's what I mean by that. And, and I think too, one of the, the other thing in that article, I'm not sure if I touched on in there, but the one point that's really clear too, is to try and get some shared goals in terms of revenue and, you know, your number is my number. Um, a guy named John McLeod says that your number is my number. And if we both have the same number, we're working toward the same thing. And then agreeing on a lead, you know, we can we can come to that agreement. Yeah. And the other thing I talk about, too, uh, that I want to add to your point is there, I think, sometimes is what we think is a lead and what we think is the ideal customer. And then you dig into your CRM and you see who is, what deals are actually closing. And there may be a gap. What I talk to revenue leaders about is, yes, you have your ideal customer profile, you have your personas, but you want to verify that those are the deals that are closing and the, those are the deals that are driving the most profit. Because what you may find is that there's a disconnect between who you want as a customer and who you're getting as a customer. And you may also find that the customers that you weren't prioritizing actually are, are bringing in the most money. So I think it's an added sort of thing that we should think about because, you know, you may be slogging because you need to redirect or you may find that customers, there's this unintended segment that finds value out of you that you just have not really directed your energy toward. And if you did, things would be so much easier. So I just wanted to add that to you because I've had those conversations before in the past. Okay. Number two, the strategy is focused on the person who matters least to the customer. I don't want to give my thoughts on this one. I want to hear it. who who is that person? <laughs> That's uh, whoever is selling the goods, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's typical if we're talking about manufacturers, I mean, I love what manufacturers produce. I love the products, but and maybe over time the customers will grow to love them as well. But out of the gates, they're not interested in your products yet until they hear how it can help them and hear that, you know, hear you talking about their problems and things like that. So you really need to just focus on the customer. We always we always used to have this saying, it's um make the customer your baby. Like you could have people in the organization might be like you've got sales has some opinions over here on how we should do things like how we should talk about ourselves and marketing has some opinions about how we should talk about ourselves and operations should have opinions about like what's great about us but if you everybody comes together like when you bring home a baby when you got a family and the uncle somebody brings home a baby there's a new baby like suddenly all the family riffs go out the window and everybody's doing everything they can to help the baby. So we say like, make the customer your baby and just focus on them. And that can really bring a whole organization together. Yeah. And that goes back to, I think those shared incentives, right? When everybody has shared incentives, then you're more focused on getting the deal over the line versus 
your individual functional goals and making sure you did what you did and then you step out and you don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One other thing you made me think of was when I would talk to clients in the past and they would say, you know, Jeff, we're, we're, we're pretty lined, you know, sales and marketing, we talk on a regular basis, that sort of thing. And a litmus test I would always use is I would, I would go to their website. This is coming back to kind of like who's important. And I would say, oh, well, I looked at your website and at no point did you talk about your customer. This is what you said. We've been around since 1921. We are the number one company in the world. We are, we have this amount of awards and we're great. And I go, and guess what your customer did? Wasn't anything about them on that page at all. So they tuned out. And obviously you need to do deeper dive and there's more to that work, right? But it's a good litmus test to understand, is your culture really truly customer centric? Because your website, to your point, is for many people, the front door to your organization, probably outside of sales. And if it's talking all about you, well, that's not what I came for. I want to understand how you can help me. So it's, it's that, that change of language, which while it, you know, people would say it's just a website, that I think is an indication of the way that you think about customers, the way that you think about yourself as an organization. Absolutely. And it, I think you're going to get to, we'll keep going because we'll build on that in, I think, with one of the other points you're going to bring up. Okay. So number three is marketing is too focused on top of funnel. So obviously we want to be customer centric, as you mentioned, and, and even to the challenger's point, be insight centric and trying to come up with insights based on the strategy on how we, you know, illuminate better ways for a company to do their job and to create business. But at some point, once we start to get them down the funnel, so we, let's keep following the know you. We've talked a lot about the know you with the you know insights about their problems and how they can do the business better. How about the like you stage? Like what would you get people to do to like you? We tend to think about um, what, what makes you like somebody. It's like usually when they do you a favor, right? So like you have a not, lot of neighbors, but man, you really like the neighbor who lets you borrow his ladder. I mean, I personally love the guy who lets you borrow his ladder because I don't own a ladder. So you know, that's you got good neighbors then. I got great neighbors. <laughs> yeah. That's the one that you like. They do you a favor. So what can you do to help people and your customers do their job better? And so there's a lot of great tools out there that you could provide some sort of downloadable tool and you can gate it or non-gate it with an email address. But the real idea is to help them kind of assess. And a lot of people talk about this, the pain calculator assess how where they are in benchmark their own state of being and really kind of illuminate where how much pain they're in right now give them a tool that will help them benchmark that compared to the industry and make that part of your content offering so that's like the like you like give them a tool to help them benchmark make some sort of assessment the pain calculator there's a, the, just, if you ever heard this, it's like the biggest problem in B2B sales is it takes a lot, especially with a B2B sale, to get somebody to move from A to B. Because A to B, that's a huge, for most organizations, that's a huge expense, huge transformation. It's going to take a lot of effort to get over to B. Your pain calculator should help them identify how much it's that it's more pain to be at point a than it is to move to point b so that's what i mean by pain calculator help them identify yeah you know i'm really i'm doing horribly here this is really costing me money um i think we we said about the sales and marketing uh misalignment the one study we've quoted if you're not you don't have sales and marketing aligned if you do have them aligned, you could see a 20% or more increase in revenue. If they're not aligned, you could see a 4% loss in revenue. So, and that's probably more. Um, so that's my like little pain calculator that uh, you know, I'm going to throw to you. And then, you know, you give them an offering on how to assess where they are in regards to that pain. Yeah. And circling back to your comment on the like you stage, you made me think of something as you were talking about that in the theme of value, providing value came up. For every customer, that's going to be something different. 
I think many times we make assumptions on what is valuable to the customer. And so I think if you start to ask people, what is important to you? How can I help you? What is valuable to you? Valuable to you, I should say. When and if they tell you, then give them that. And instead of just throwing stuff at them and saying like, I don't know why they're not engaging with this. Well, maybe that's not important to them. So the value idea around that like stage, because your your neighbor is giving you, letting you use their, their, use their ladder is of value to you because you don't have a ladder and probably don't want to go buy a ladder, right? So that's why it's important. It's not necessarily the ladder itself, but it's the utility of the ladder so that you don't have to go get one yourself. And then the other thing you made me think of too was I've had the question proposed to me of like, as a marketer, again, this is in trucking logistics, which I think has some parallels to manufacturing. I want to do more, but people are putting us in a sales support box. And what I shared with this executive, I was like, well, you know, have you tried pilots? I love pilots. And then also think about how can marketing support the entire customer lifecycle and not just top of funnel. So you talk about top of funnel here. I think it's really important when you talk about retention and onboarding, like those are things, especially if you're in a sales driven culture, you may not have content and resources to be able to onboard consistently a client or to make sure that they have a you know successful you know, first six months, whatever that looks like. I think marketing can sometimes take those those gaps and turn that into content or, you know, webinars or whatever and and show the value that they offer sales outside of just being sales support. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that's a kind of the last stage, the trust you stage. I mean, we talk a about a lot about trust you stage would be social proof like case studies. So like you finally got somebody down the funnel, they're on your website, they're checking you out. Case studies, great content on your product and services pages that really demonstrates your expertise and shows the proof that you can deliver. Andy Crestedina of Orbit Media has a great quote, you make marketing claim, you better have data to back it up. So don't just say we are the best in the business, show them why, show them the data. They're starting to build trust with you as they're a customer, stay in front of them with great content. You know, keep informing them, keep making their lives better, keep educating them and showing them better ways to do things. That's all that that kind of trust content that builds it at the bottom. And that generation of testimonials, case studies, white papers, whatnot, is another opportunity for marketing to partner and better align with sales. Because if you think about it, you know, sales historically says like marketing doesn't provide me blah, 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 no value, da, 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 da. Well, if marketing can come in and say like, look, we want to do this testimonial, want to do this white paper with your customer to highlight them. So that's visibility for the customer. And we want to partner with you getting into the count. So this is, as a salesperson, I'm thinking this is another non-sales interaction. I'm bringing value. Like everybody wins, right? That's a that's an easy partnership to say like, we want to get into Acme, uh, Acme Company. Who are the key players? Are there anybody in the organization that you haven't been able to get in contact that we can come in as a marketing team, which feels very different than a salesperson, and we can kind of like, you know, get you access and that sort of thing. So when you said that, I was like, ah, I want to make sure I mention that because I think a lot of those things that we do in the marketing side of the house, which, you know, it's just kind of standard for us. We don't think, how can I leverage this as an opportunity to build a better relationship with sales? You know, that that's such a great point, Jeff. And we, when we talk about reaching out to get a case study, our case studies, I, I see a lot of case studies that are written there's no customers included in the case study. There's no pictures of the case studies. We really talk about the customers and make them, we don't have to make them look great. They are doing great. And we make sure that we interview the customer, we get their picture in the case study, we get their actual words that they say. We, didn't, we don't write a form, we interview them and get the actual authentic quotes in their words. And it's something they could use and with their own, put on their own social media to say, look how smart we are. Look how much better we're doing. And that will help them as well. And plus, you know, tactically from a marketing standpoint, you're giving them a nice backlink <laughs> off your website and you're helping build their brand as well. So, yeah. So it's literally a win, win, win situation. Yeah. 
All right, number four, your metrics aren't tied to your strategy. I personally love this one. Uh, I can't wait for you to tell people about this. Okay, there's a million ways to do this, but really we've started a, a method where we kind of follow the know you, like you, trust you, and we aggregate all the know you metrics. You know, there, there's a, I forget his name, from Google who came up with really just focus on the critical few metrics, you know, your KPIs. So if we follow the know you, like you, trust you, our main metrics right now are impressions at the know you stage. And that's just because it's a constant between social search impressions seem to cover a big gamut. So it's really getting out the message out there. The, like you stage would be visits to the website. So we're actually getting people to the website. We, we, we've referred to it as like getting people in your store, right? You're getting people there. So, you know, think about it. You're getting in front of people, your impressions, you're actually getting them to the website. So that's, they're like you enough to spend some time in your store and look around. And then the trust you is where they actually convert into a marketing qualified lead. So that'd be conversions. That's submitting a form, calling in to talk to you, Jeff, the salesperson, because you know we're going to go from the digital twin to the to the real life person, and you can uh, take them through the rest of the process, and then track. You know, it's in the pipeline. Trying to get the actual attribution of what is the most efficient channel. You know, there's a lot of tools. There's HubSpot, of course, which can get multi-source attribution, but you know, you, you have to work your way up to that. I think with a lot of clients and the ones that we are servicing, just getting them to get that whole funnel going, get those critical few metrics out, at least got to get that going. And then you can fine tune for efficiency to figure out what channels are working best. And, you know, then start to really get into some analysis on, like you said, which I really like about really getting to know what those customers are and who they, how they convert. So, so those are our critical few and those are our, our metrics that we tie because it all ties back to the strategy. I can say in those impressions is the message that we're sharing and part of our digital twin strategy that hold those insights. Do those matter to people? Are they actually converting on it? And then, you know, is our website, do we have the data that converts them and moves them down? So. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, though, because I know you're you were mentioning you like to share some things there. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's making sure that those impressions, those KPIs, are all linked back to the overall strategy. And I think where we find ourselves circling down the drain, so to say, is when we don't have a north star of what we're trying to achieve, and there is no overarching. You know, we are trying to do X, Y, Z, and our KPI is you know twenty five percent increase in impressions, whatever whatever that may be. And even if we find that we're grossly wrong, it's that having some sort of benchmark of where we can measure ourselves against that many people overlook. And so you know any team that I have coached or have worked in, I was like, what does good look like? If we do everything right, what does that look like? And you have to do that work. It is sometimes challenging, but. I think it's, it's the most important work because otherwise you just start doing random stuff. And then if I come back and say, okay, we have 3000 impressions, what does that mean? But is there a benchmark? Like, is that less than yesterday? Is it more than, like, we don't know because we, we have no roadmap. And so I think that, you know, just having metrics to me is not really a value. It's that metrics being tied to strategy or being tied to goals is that's where the insight is. And that's really what I want versus just a number. Cause the number is the number and we all know you can make numbers look however you want them to. I want the insight that can inform me how to make better business decisions. So um, that's kind of how I look at things and why I was really, I really like that you, you talked about that because we can get into metric land all day and no one has any insights they can pull from the data. Yeah. And I think if you're, your marketing agency when it comes time for reporting, hand it to you a 57 page metrics report. It's time to find a different agency. Uh, I mean, well, we another, have. That's another we, podcast episode. Yeah, right. I mean, really, we have a very simplified report that we give, and it shows those KPIs. 
And then quarterly, we analyze which are the, you know, what content is working best for us and then what channels are working best for us. And those are actually kind of linked together, but keep it simple and um, keep it clean, you know, have clarity. And like you said, tie it back to the overall strategy. I think when you start to do that, this stuff actually becomes fun and you actually, you start to get the momentum going. I, I was reading this French detective author, writer, mystery writer, and this guy, really easy to digest stories. But one thing he was talking about is this, the detective would ask questions and kind of like, he didn't really know what he was looking for. He would just kind of ask questions and he would kind of, it was kind of in a funk, like he wasn't really sure where he was going, but he just kind of kept figuring out things and trying things. And then all of a sudden, once it started to click, things got really easy for him and things moved really fast. And all of a sudden, all the answers were coming run one right after the other. And I feel like, Jeff, when you line up your metrics like that and you line up your strategy, then you start to get the answers faster, right? Because you're moving forward. You've got, like you said, I've got a number to react to. And now if that number is off, I've got a strategy to tweak. And it's related to the to your fifth point because whether it's good or bad, you know how to pivot either way. But if there's no map, there's no guidepost, you don't know if what you're doing is working. And so your fifth point is don't hide, keep management in the loop on successes and failures. So I want you to share what you mean by that. You know, we've we've had numbers go down. Tell people why. Figure it out, you know, show them that, you know, marketing, marketing is a lot of experimentation. It's susceptible to a lot of variables. It's not an exact science, you know, and it takes all hands on deck, really. It takes a lot of input from a lot of different people. So get everybody involved in your strategy. You know, it should be the company strategy and share the numbers and get some insights. I mean, you know, I want to hear what you think, Jeff. You're coming from a different perspective than I am, and you might see it that I, and I might miss it. So by all means. And then your management team it wants your honesty, and they want to see that you're at least acknowledging something isn't right, working right, and you're working to fix it. Yeah. I'm going to sneak one last question in here before we close. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're busy, busy man, but I, I said it and I saw you light up. So I was like, I got to make sure we get this in here. So branding when it comes to manufacturing, how important is it? You know, we, we've talked about the importance of branding and B2B in general. Some people are convinced, some people are not convinced. I'm just curious in general, where is the marketing, I'm sorry, manufacturing world at when it comes to branding as related to driving revenue? Yeah. So personally, I have a nice logo, have a nice design, get great designers, make sure your stuff looks great in terms of the visual brand. But I really believe that if you follow the, like the good sales and marketing strategy that we're talking about, this kind of understand, know you, like you, trust you, and build that messaging out and talk about your customer and talk about what their problem is and tie it to that bigger issue, that's going to be your brand. And you don't need to talk about how great you are, it will come out in everything. If you follow all those elements we talked about and you tell your stories, you are showing you are not telling. And that anybody who is a writer, that is the number one rule of great writing is show, don't tell. So when you tell somebody, you think you're a great brand and that you have to tell everybody you're the most reputable brand, manufacturer and the most effective manufacturer, that's not good branding. If you show them these great case studies and show them exactly who you're helping and the ideal customer and the problems you're solving, that's your brand. It's going to happen naturally. And do that consistently over time. Absolutely. Every day. Any last minute thoughts before we close out for you know a sales leader or a revenue leader that is hearing this rumblings from their sellers 
look, you know, no one's answering my phone call. I'm, I'm not able to get in front of folks. It's kind of those telltale signs that what they're doing is not working. Any last minute thoughts of like what they can do differently or how do they know when it's time to think differently? You better get moving. If you're running into that, you know, you know what's going on. B2B is like B2C, right? I mean, people, you go on Amazon or you go on the website, everybody does it. Like think how you buy now. Why should your B2B customers be any different? And they're not. So you got to get moving. So at least take a look. We've got our digital twin manufacturing marketing strategy. You can give them the link, I think, with the show notes. Go ahead and take a look at that. And, you know, if you've got a team or somebody follow and you don't have a strategy, you can start there for sure. <laughs> We're here to help if you, if you need some help on, on strategy and execution. And the best ways to find you, Greg, online, what, uh, what are all the details? So uh, windbound.com is our website, and, or I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Well, Greg, again, thank you so much. At just as I thought, uh, a very insightful and, and, and actionable conversation, I believe. I really love the fact that I was able to come across this, this article and kind of go through those, those five steps because I think they're right on the mark. And I think the, the, the conversation to kind of fill in the gaps, I think will be helpful for those that are listening. So again, thank you for your time and look forward for our episode to go live. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you and hearing your insights as well. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.